0: to the evening it actually gives me an enormous thrill to be able to welcome Julian to Nottingham um, I have to say that I took advice about who to invite who would give us a really fantastic talk about health care and situations like that who does one ask but one's chief executive and without any hesitation he recommended you uh, he reminded me that probably your greatest task was to teach in economics
1: when he was a young man. And that may yes, be
0: something that I think we are really very grateful for, but I might ask you for some further details later <laughs> on. Um, Julian has uh, worked uh, in economics and has gradually moved into the healthcare. Uh, He's is Richard Tipping, professor of social policy at the London School of Economics, a more prestigious job in economics. I can't imagine there exists. Um, he has done frontline medical jobs, including being vice chairman of the French Air and Bristol Trust. Um, he has been the policy advisor to Tony Blair. Now, I dare say he might just tell us a little bit about that. Um, but obviously Uh, you've chosen your own title, uh, which I'm very interested in, and uh, I hope you've all been able to take a few questions at the end. So thank you very much indeed, Julian. If I could hand you over to the <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. Is everything working? Can people hear me? Um, And thank you, John, for that introduction, and thank you, Peter, for the invitation, uh, the recommendation, I should say, to to come here. Um, I have to say, what I'm going to talk about always rather reminds me of uh, uh, Machiavelli's dying words. Um, As many of you probably know, when when he lay dying, he uh, he asked uh, for the last rites. And uh, a priest uh, came in and said, uh, uh, Machiavelli, i come here to give you the last rites. Um, uh, First of all, I have to ask you, do you renounce the devil and all his works? Silence from the bed. So the priest waited a few minutes and then said, Machiavelli, do you renounce the devil and all his works? Still, silence from the bed. The priest said, look, I have to ask this. I can't proceed any further without getting asked I do you renounce the devil and all his works? And after a minute or two, there was a quiet voice from the bed saying, I don't think it's a good idea to make new enemies at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm afraid I might not make some new enemies at this stage because um, I, um, somebody once described me as basically... The person who's been responsible for all the troubles and trials you've been through in the past uh, 20 years—actually, um, uh, I'm not. Um, Peter was also um, strongly involved in that. Commission <laughs> for Health Improvement, um, uh, and uh, there are other villains of the piece. Um, but I am going to talk about uh, basically the the experience of the the Blair government and the various reforms, deforms, some people call them, uh, that the NHS went through uh, during that period. And indeed, of course, as we all know, it's still going through now. Um, and basically, we tried, for, there were basically four fundamental ways to run a health service. Um, and I'm going to go through those in a moment. Um, we tried them all. Uh, as uh, uh, in the Blair government, um, they're all bad, none of them work, um, some maybe work slightly less badly than others, uh, and that's the kind of message I'm going to give you. And the one I'm going to, pro- the one I was sort of involved mostly in, is probably the one that you will regard as uh, as the uh, as the one most over on the dark side. So I'm looking forward to being torn apart by you when, uh, when the questions come. Okay, well, what are these four methods of, um, of uh, running a health system? Um, well, the first one is trust. I'll explain what they are in a moment. Um, mistrust, mistrust, uh, they were both in my title, a voice, and choice. Uh, and we've got those fundamental ways of doing these. We can trust people, we can mistrust people, we can allow them to exercise their voices, or we allow them to exercise their choices. Catching the comfort mode. Let me let me go back now to trust. Trust is when, uh, and I'm sure uh, the audience the, the, you'll, you'll like this one. Trust is when you trust the doctors, uh, and indeed you trust the nurses, and you trust the managers. Um, you basically trust the you trust the, the people working in the system. Uh, to allocate resources, to provide care according to the best that they can, according to uh, uh, their, uh, their professional commitment, according to their sense of public service ethos, and so on. And you basically hand over the money, such as it is, uh, to uh, to the health service and say, get on with it. Um, no direction from the top, no markets or quail or market pressures or whatever. You just hand the money over and allow people to get on with it. Um, and um, uh, and the Blair government tried this um, when it came in. Frank Dobson, uh, remember, remember Frank Dobson? He was health secretary. He was rather keen on this model. Um, and he uh, when they came in in 1997, um, they tried this model. Um, now, it, in many ways, it is a good model, I'm sure, agree. And uh, uh, i um, uh, as a public service professional myself, um, I rather—I like to be trusted. I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being directed. Um, uh, university professors are, are slightly more recalcitrant than consultants, if you can imagine that. Um, and uh, we just don't like uh, being ordered uh, around. We don't think it's productive. We don't think it's helpful. Uh, and. Um, uh, The trust model tends to lead to quite high morale uh, among the people involved. um, And uh, and, as I say, it has many merits as a way of running a health service. Um, What it doesn't do, or one of the difficult things about it, is particularly if you've got uh, a kind of control freak government like Blair, uh, Blair's government, it, what it doesn't do is necessarily deliver results. Um, I remember when, I mean, and after a while, Frank Dobson began to lose uh, his luster. Uh, in fact, he was sidelined to run for mayor of London. I don't know if you, I know if you remember that. Um, and the new secretary of state came in, Alan Milburn, who probably would have been captain. Now, now um, Alan was much more of a kind of a can-do, thrusting. Um, I remember talking to him at a conference once, and he was tearing his hair out because he said, we have begun to put more money into the health service, and they had at that time, not nearly as much as later went in, but they've begun to put in quite a reasonable amount. Um, And nothing seems to be happening. We are getting our our waiting times are going up, our uh, waiting lists are getting longer, Uh, there's no signs of of new uh, uh, increases in activity. Uh, I just can't I can't quite make out what's going on. Um, and uh, I could see that he, in a sense, he was losing faith in the trust model. Um, and, and in fact, uh, he did, and they went straight over to the mistrust model. And this is almost the reverse. This is where government says, we don't trust doctors, we don't trust nurses, we don't trust managers, we don't trust any of um, in fact, we don't trust anybody in the public sector, familiar. we don't trust anybody in the public sector. Uh, they're, they're all basically in it for themselves, they're purely in it for self-interest. Um, they simply want to uh, They simply want to get as high incomes as possible or as much leisure as possible, do as little work as possible. So what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to tell them what to do. We're going to have to direct them from start to finish. Um, and of course that's when we got to the... The era of targets, and known—the uh, the euphemistic description was targets and performance management. Um, the uh, the uh, correct description was targets and terror. <laughs> um, and. Uh, Again, as you'll probably remember, what they did was they set, I say they because I wasn't involved in the government at that time, Um, they set various targets, indeed, of course, as you know, they still, some of them still were, targets mostly for waiting times, it wasn't entirely, but mostly for waiting times uh, of one kind or another, Uh, and basically um, instituted a system of rewards and penalties for people who met the target or failed to meet the target. I'm sure Peter would vote, mostly penalties, really, rather than awards, but not a great deal of, uh, 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 it was a a very, I think, it was a very punitive uh, regime. Um, The trouble is, though, at least um, uh, from a sort of analyst perspective, when you look at it, the trouble is it worked. At least it worked in a crude sense. Um, We set a target for, I'll go on to target, for instance, of uh, the numbers of patients waiting in hospitals waiting greater than 12 months. I mean, in fact, it was extraordinary how many there were um, waiting longer than 12 months. And it was a, it was a shame uh, on Britain. I mean, certainly I had a lot of colleagues who came from abroad to look at the British Health Service, which there were many aspects of, but they were appalled at the waiting problems. And indeed, of course, so was the general public. So I think it's not surprising, actually, that the government um, did focus on that. Um, set a target that nobody should wait longer than 12 months by 2003 Um, and as you can see um, the target was met Um, it's quite interesting because um, Scotland and Wales um, rejected the notion of targets Um, and despite the fact they had more resources per head uh, than did uh, England um, that's that's what happened with them the same happened with Northern Ireland um, uh, the, uh, after a while, it has to be said, Wales and Scotland, uh, or rather Wales anyway, uh, introduced a sort of more, a more uh, targeted regime, uh, and so in Scotland you got a result like that, uh, a great, significant improvement. Uh, Scotland, well, Scotland changed the system of measurement.
2: You every government.
1: You've got a policy that's going wrong. Change the and it will solve a lot of problems. The same with A and E. I mean, the, the, the target, well originally, the target that they wanted to set was 100% of people uh, attending an A and E department would be either uh, seen, treated, uh, and discharged, or else admitted to hospital within four hours. Um, they did do a, a bit of consultation, and they consulted with some of the A&E consultants about this, who said that's ridiculous, oh, 100%, could we have it 98%, and ended up with 98%. Um, and as you can see, again, it was a target that was achieved, and that was despite um, a 24% of increase in A&E admittances um, through that time. Um, so, targets seemed to work. Um, Now, the trouble was, uh, I felt uncomfortable with this, and so did I think a number of people actually, because um, we felt that in all sorts of subtle ways, targets were not working. Um, They were directing resources, though. there's the usual thing about what's targeted is resourced, what's not targeted is ignored. Not wholly true actually, That, that was quite interesting, there was quite an interesting study of a a set of Welsh hospitals and a set of English hospitals just either side of the border um, with very similar case mix, the um, hospitals, and the, the English hospitals being subject to targets and terror, and the uh, Welsh hospitals um, not. And um, unsurprisingly, the, the study revealed that the Welsh hospitals, the English hospitals, did better on the areas like times and so on that were targeted. But it also turned out that they did rather better on just about every other indicator as well. Um, and it looked as though the kind of general tightening up of management that went on, or the general tightening up all round that went on in order to achieve the target actually had beneficial effects elsewhere, with somewhat to our surprise, I think. Um, it wasn't really what we were expecting. However, um, I still, uh, I didn't think then, and I still don't think that targets uh, uh, are the way to go. Um, I still think they do distort resources. They do distort priorities. So I'd be quite interested to hear your comments when, uh, when we get the chance to, to talk about it. Um, of course, they, they create opportunities for gaming, so what, what the economists call gaming. That's to say, with either outright fiddling of the figures, but more commonly, sort of shifting things around a bit, um, so as you meet the target, um, but you miss the point. In the sense, you don't actually you. you uh, you, you don't actually do you, you don't commit the spirits of the time. For instance, there, were, uh, there was a big increase in accidents in accident emergency, uh, in people being admitted into the main hospital um, uh, rather than um, being used and discharged. Even if, uh, as the as the time approached for the four hours to to be used up, uh, and there were various there were various things that went on in a variety of places that uh, uh, and it does encourage people in some ways to, to to dodge and to duck and to weave, um, which doesn't seem to me to be a good way to run a health service. Um, uh, and I did actually, I was at a meeting, um, and I, to, be, to be fair, neither did Blair. Uh, I was at a meeting with him once, and he was talking actually about this accident's emergency uh, case. And he saying, do we just have to, do we just have to carry on doing this? Um, for sort of the, uh, the rest of our lives, so to speak. Do we have to on kind of cracking the whip from the top, in some senses, um, driving uh, these professionals uh, to, to do this? Um, isn't there some way, he didn't quite use this language, but uh, isn't there some way in which you could uh, uh, get a kind of drive to improve that was internal to the system? tried to improve quality. It was, in some senses, internal to what was going on, um, and um, this was music to some of our ears because, as I say, um, many of his advisors and so on didn't really like the targets and stuff, uh, and they said, "Well, yes, yeah, there, there are two ways that you can do that, um, and that is um, the going back for a moment, uh, voice and choice." Now, in both of these cases, what you do is you rely upon patients, basically, or you rely upon the people who use the health service to try to uh, provide incentives to improve quality. With voice, you rely on people's voices. Uh, it's voice is a kind of rag bag of, of various ways of doing things, but it includes things like Going having a chat with your GP, going having a chat with your hospital with your consultant, uh, maybe more formally, um, going, maybe, maybe sitting on an FT, uh, set of governors, uh, maybe um, putting in a complaint, a complaints procedure, maybe putting in a formal complaint, um, maybe talking to your councillors or your your MPs, um, maybe going along to some of the um, patients and public consultative fora. Those sort of devices, always exercising your voice to uh, to achieve to uh, achieve uh, better quality service in some sense or another. on the whole I mean, it's a bit it, uh, it's a bit surprising, but in some ways, but the the Blair government wasn't terribly taken with voice. Uh, they did play around with it. You probably remember community health councils um, abolished them then. Uh, uh, various things, link schemes, power schemes, uh, and so on. Um, but they weren't really very taken. Uh, taken <coughs> to the voice. Um, which I say it's a little surprising because, in many ways, it's allegedly a left wing government and uh, the left tends to like uh, these kind of collectivist ways of doing things. But um, on the whole, they didn't go very far. And I think the reason was, again, it was felt not to be necessarily terribly effective. Um, the are two troubles with voice, I think. Um, one is that it, it is quite clumsy as a way of, of uh, 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 trying to improve things. Um, and it's quite difficult to mobilize. Uh, I was actually, uh, when I was on the, um, the board of um, French Hospital in Bristol, I was the so-called complaints convener at one point. Uh, and I looked at the kind of hoops we made people jump through. In order to uh, to make a claim, I remember one person that put in 300 pages of typed. Uh, uh, now I think he was something of a vexatious litigant, was the, as they say, and uh, I don't think his complaint was very so justified. But nonetheless, it did make me think. You know, you, uh, if you're really going to try and make a claim, it, it's enormously uh, difficult, I and mean, is that really a good way to go? Um, and, uh, and the patient of the public forum weren't very successful in the community. Well, some people think the community health councils were successful, actually, um, but, uh, but the government didn't. Um, uh, and the other problem with voice, which was perhaps not a little bit of a surprising one, was um, uh, it tended to favour the better off. It was the middle classes, the, um, because inevitably they, they've got louder voices and they're more articulate. And they can do this kind of stuff. Um, We did a little research into, and I'll just go on that for a moment, um, to um, looking at who got the most out of the NHS. Um, And um, uh, it tended to be, on almost every level, one way or another, it tended to be the better off. In this case, uh, it's uh, the employed, the rich, the better educated, tend to do better. Uh, if you looked at uh, cabbages, you've got this kind of, um, your intervention rates were uh, 30% lower in the lowest socio-economic group and the highest, hip replacements rather similar, um, uh, even GPs um, spent less time per consultation with those lower down the economic scale. Um, now, I don't think, in any sense, this was the fault of the GPs or indeed any of the people involved in health service. Um, um, I'm, I'm sure that the GPs of New Orleans will be able to tell me that it's the wretched middle-class people who clog up their surgeries with unnecessary uh, uh, questions and uh, endless chat. Um, uh, and indeed, but in a way, this is and much of this is about the the ability of the middle classes to. Manipulate the system is a little pejorative, it's not quite manipulating but at least persuade the system to respond to their needs and wants to a greater degree than the, uh, than the other, than the less uh, well. So, um, we didn't like voice, so we moved to choice. Um, I'll come to that in a moment. Um, <coughs> choice. Now, um, so, a range of measures were introduced to introduce patient choice uh, of uh, elective surgery, chiefly, as you know. Um, and, um, uh, and in addition, um, we, we moved towards um, reinstituting what we considered to be one of, the most, one of the more successful experiments that the previous government had done, which was GP fund we moved to, well, there's quite a lot of evidence coming out. G.B. Fothering would been rather effective in many ways. So we moved to something called we moved to practice-based commissioning, if you remember, practice-based commissioning. Um, uh, and, but the idea being that in some ways the GPs would um, um, hold the budget, but also they would be able to advise and help patients make choices between uh, various providers, particularly for elective surgery. Um, And we hoped that that would give, uh, coupled with the so-called payment-by-results system, the system in which the money followed the choice effectively, the patients did choose certain hospitals, those hospitals got more resources, and provide an incentive for hospitals to uh, attract patients. Um, And we hoped that would improve the Quality um, of the uh, of the services being provided. Provide an incentive to improve quality. Um, uh, well, um, uh, and this is this is I was quite heavily involved in this. Um, competition is never a very choice in competition. Never a very it's quite a hard one to defend actually, uh, particularly in a world where we used to um, uh, where. We're used to cooperation, to integration, to operating in a more networky fashion. Um, so, um, so uh, it was tricky, and I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, there have been quite a lot of results. Um, there have been quite a lot of research now that come out that's looked at the effects of competition. It's quite interesting. They did some studies of competition in the. The conservatives regime, that was pre-1997, in the internal market, um, and they weren't so good on quality. They suggested that actually hospitals in more competitive areas tended to kill their patients faster. Um, and, um, uh, and actually, that rather tied in with evidence when they looked at competition in the United States and elsewhere about the effects of, of competition. Uh, what it seemed to happen that if you allowed hospitals to compete on prices, so they could lower their, they could offer a lower price to GPs or to or whoever was buying the service, offer, they would lower quality as well. So one of the things the government did was decided to try and keep the price constant. Hence the idea of payment by results, the kind of the tariff, the same amount for everybody, not allow hospitals to compete on that. Instead encourage them to compete on quality. And the results so far seem to be quite good. There have been two separate pieces of research that do suggest that that our hospital mortality decreased more quickly in hospitals in competitive markets, about 30% faster than it did in other hospitals. Um, And there have been some estimates on the number of lives saved accordingly. Um, Interestingly enough, there's also been some work looking at Looking at equity, fairness, that's more of a kind of quality indicator rather than a version. And looking at what happened to waiting times um, over that period. Now this isn't so much about choice and competition, I say. This is more about a whole Blair period from 1997 onwards. But in 1997, on the whole, the poor, for for various elective surgery, the poor were waiting longer. Than the rich um, the, or the middle classes, at any rate, about 30 days longer. Um, what happened over the years was um, that uh, the mean, the waiting times dropped. We all know that. Waiting times dropped quite sharply. Um, that was the knee replacement. Um, but interestingly enough, um, what seemed to happen was they dropped faster for the poor, for the less well off, than they did. For the uh, well-off, um, and the end result. Oh, sorry, if you, go back in. Um, if you look here, this is 1997. You've got a sort of that sort of rough gradient, um, with the uh, this being social class one, the top social class, and this being the social class uh, five. Uh, and if you look what's happened down here, if anything, social class five is, is pretty equal actually. The social class five are waiting less time social class one. So the combination of the Blair reforms, which started, I suppose, around about four, um, when um, you began to see this decline uh, in, in waiting times. Uh, and this is about the time that choice and competition came in, but also there was the targets and terror regimes going on, was an improvement in the equity or the fairness of the system as well. Um, so, um, I suppose what that means is, and perhaps we can, we can discuss this in a moment, um, uh, that uh, for me, on the whole, competition and choice uh, is the least is perhaps the least worst way of doing these. I think I know all the problems of competition and choice. and I know it leads to fragmentation. Uh, it can lead to uh, it can lead to collapse of morale it can lead to got problems about hospitals which through no fault of their own uh, get into financial trouble and so on um, so theres a whole range of difficulties of, with choice of competition and we can come to that in a moment um, um, uh, but uh, but uh, and there are there are areas of or areas of the country where it's totally appropriate to have um, choice of competition where, and there are probably and there are areas of care where you might think it's totally inappropriate, but but um, on balance, I think that of all the four models that we've talked about so far, probably the one that, as I say, is the least worst in terms of delivery maybe choice of competition, but we can talk about that in a moment. Let me conclude by um, just uh, talking a bit about the politics of this, because it was all quite fun. Um, not, not everybody was very enthusiastic about this. Uh, um, Frank Dobson didn't like it. Um, uh, the real opposition which at that time was led by Gordon Brown in the Treasury uh, they didn't like it much either Um, and um, uh, and it was quite difficult to sell, it is quite difficult to sell the voice of competition quite a lot of other people didn't like it much either Um, and of course it's very relevant to the kind of discussions we're going on now, we're getting a lot of this this kind of uh, this kind of development. I was always, I was always a little upset at the privatisation accusation because um, we weren't talking about privatising the health service. we not talking about. Obviously we obviously weren't talking about charging for health service uh, for healthcare, and we weren't talking to about. Uh, there was a certain amount of bringing private, private providers, but not a lot. It was mostly about setting up a foundation trusts um, and uh, operating in that way. Um, um, I did ask my research assistant to go out and find some, some, some pro choice cartoons. Um, she came out with this one. I'm not entirely sure I regard it pro choice. Um, she uh, she, <laughs> she was concerned, it It's only a generation thing. She said, well, that's what I want. My, my health service to my wife is 24, or 25. Um, still, anyway. Um, um, but these are the kind of challenges we got about choice, particularly. All um, oh, making perfectly sort of legitimate points. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, um, people don't want choice; they want a good local service. Um, yes. Um, uh, there's an inequity point. The better uh, I talked about the, the problems with voice. Problems with middle classes getting privileged with voice. We've got some um, uh, problems here. Um, and um, choice competition, and there is this, this this fundamental worry, and I think this is a real worry actually, um, that, that choice competition will undermine the public service ethos. It will undermine the sense of, of commitment, to, uh, that, uh, the that the professionalisation that people have, um, and it sort of threatens the kind of public realm. Uh, well, as I say, I think all of those, I are mean, reasonable points. Um, on the people, that, we did do a bit of research about whether people wanted choice. Um, what was quite interesting was that, um, on the whole, uh, on the whole, people did seem to want choice actually, um, uh, and uh, it tended to be the less powerful who wanted choice. It was women. Uh, uh, there were majorities in each group wanting choice, but it tended women more than men wanted choice. The the lower uh, the, the, the lower social classes, so to speak, learned, tended to want choice more than the upper social classes. Um, the, uh, income, <laughs> the income, it was the, those over £50,000, they, they still wanted choice, a majority, but um, uh, but much less than the proportion of those who are earning, earning less than £10,000. Um, and so I'm saying, so true of education, of those with higher education. Um, wanted choice, um, but not as much as those with no education, which is, I think, quite interesting. Um, uh, and actually, this is a fairly universal phenomenon. If you look across not just not, just, um, not health care, uh, but if you look across education, and you talk about choice in schools, you get a rather similar pattern. If you look across other countries, the United States, New Zealand, Finland, you tend to get this pattern, with the poor tending to want more choice than the, than the better off. You know, it's quite interesting to think about why that might be. Um, I think it's partly because uh, the poor are often stuck with lousy services. Not always, but often stuck with lousy services. And so they they see the opportunity to get out in some sense, to, to get to uh, a better service. And of course the middle classes are better able, as we indicated about voice, they're better able... To use a non-choice system to uh, to their own advantage, so I think that might be some of the reasons that goes on. Um, um, they did we did they, they did we did do some piloting of this uh, of the choice idea to see whether um, different groups, you know, whether men and women, uh, people with different educations, uh, different employment whether they actually would use the choice system. And they might say they wanted choice, but we don't know whether they actually use it. And as you can see, there's not a great deal of difference, actually, here between the various groups. On the whole, it didn't seem as though we thought, again, it was a danger that poor wouldn't use the choice system or less well off often use it. Um, um, and this is what uh, the, the final thing. Um, that this, this, this is an uncomfortable thing uh, when we ask people. Uh, about what they thought about public services in Britain. We were trying to sort of get some feel for whether people cared very much about um, public versus private, uh, the rest of it. Um, and uh, we asked them what they, made about, what they thought about public services in Britain. This is right across the board, public services. Um, and we got this kind of result, which isn't, I
2: must say, it doesn't
1: inspire them. I suppose they do, they do think that, um, uh, that uh, were uh, hard working. That's one nice thing about those of us in the public sector. They knew they were hard working, but the rest of it is not very not very uh, uh, reassuring about the way they Now, we did discover actually in doing this research that it probably. That, that most people still thought that British gas and the utilities <laughs> generally were still part of the public sector. Uh, so we may not picking up a British gas effect. I mean, that's rather what we hope. Those of us who work in the health service or in education. Um, uh, but it does suggest that they don't think that um, uh, the people who work in public service are that I think um, And this is a final survey that we did where we looked at about private This is about private hospitals because obviously that was... A, uh, a, a major issue now, um, and uh, whether people really minded about that you know, when they wanted the public sector, and on the whole they didn't seem to, as you can see. But yeah, be careful with this kind of stuff, as I'm sure any who's you—you—if uh, you, you ask the right question, you can get the answer you want. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily take that all too seriously. Um, so let me finish then by saying, well, uh, oh, for those of you who are academics um, or are interested in the academic stuff, this is some of the some of the evidence I've been citing, some of the references on the evidence I've been citing, um, and this will be I think this will be available if anyone wants to, wants to check it out. Um, um, so where does that leave us? Um, well, particularly about the present healthcare reforms that are going on. Um, well, uh, I think they're daft. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, or rather, more accurately, what I think of that, it seemed to me that the Blair—I well, I would say this wouldn't buy, but um, the Blair government probably got it about right. A little bit of competition, a little bit of choice. I mean, not massive amounts. It wasn't, wasn't massive. Amounts, a little bit of competition, a little bit of choice. Um, uh, some use of targets. Um, And as we saw, on the whole, a payoff of improved quality and improved equity. Um, There were various things that were introduced like practice-based commissioning for GP commissioning. um, And really, um, the present government, when the new government came in, they they didn't need to do any of this. They really didn't need to do any of this. They could have just, I mean, they could have just built on, if they wanted to, the various things that that had been done by by the previous government. Uh, and otherwise, left things pretty well as they were. Um, and I think that would have been a much better strategy. Than indeed, written like Britain to say they should have withdrawn the bill. Um, and the bill for, for, for has gone mad. Um, I don't think, actually, though, having said that, that um, once it goes through, I don't think things will change very much. Um, they change on the GP commissioning side, of course, and PCTs. Uh, obviously, anyone who works in a PCT obviously needs to change very much. As far as hospitals are concerned, I think patients will still come to hospital, doctors will, and nurses will still treat the patients and they'll probably do so much in the same way as they ever did. And so with all the sound and the fury that emanates from number ten <coughs> and elsewhere, uh, at the end of the day, your lives I think will carry on much as they always have, and indeed I very much hope they do, because you're doing a great job. So thank you.
3: I'm a GP, right. uh, I th- thank you very much for what was a very thoughtful and insightful talk actually. But I th- something that has puzzled me from your years in advising the government that I've never been able to understand, but perhaps you can explain it to me. So the question of choice. I'm at the beginning of the choice process when I see patients and the surgeon I choose to refer them. And um, it's to where? The government, uh, thank you, uh, the government that you uh, advised set up a system of choice whereby our patients were encouraged to choose not to have their knee replaced in Nottingham but to go to Exeter or Carlisle if they wished. But in actual fact, the only choice my patients have ever expressed to me is to have the knee replaced by the chap who replaced the previous knee. And that was explicitly Sorry, stopped. Can you just repeat that? Pa- the choice that patients want yep. is the surgeon uh, that will do the job best locally. Yes. If you've had one knee replaced, and it's been a good job, you want to get the next to list replaced by the same surgeon. And that was explicitly ruled out in chosen book. And I cannot see why you did this.
1: Yes, well, um, uh, I will rapidly say um, uh, that I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think we... Uh, I'm I surprised that I don't think it was actually ruled out that you should go to a local hospital. It was just, there was just one on the list. And if it was actually specifically ruled out, there was something going wrong with the choose and book system that, that uh, should have happened.
3: Shouldn't have happened. In that no, case. we can't. The problem is that we cannot name consultants. But oh right. It so. means you, can, you you send to a service. Right. Right. But well, so, but patients don't see the service as being no, what they had no, the last time. No. They want Mr X.
1: Well, I think I think we should have named consultants. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that 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 opportunity should be open to patients. And indeed, we we did talk about. It. Um, and indeed, try to get that. It, but on the whole, it tends to be the consultants are not so keen on that, in, in our experience. But maybe that's maybe that's unrepresentative. Um, but yes, I quite agree. I think that's way, that's the way we should move towards that. Um, I mean, your more general point about um, patients don't, you know, what they want is a good local service. And um, of course, in a sense, that that's bound to be true. I mean, if you offer somebody a choice of televisions or uh, a high-quality television. Um, what will they go for? Well obviously will they go for the high-quality television. I mean, um, the point more is about the choice and competition argument is that um, so, <coughs> some people, often um, people in relatively poor areas, are not getting a very good service. Um, and, the, and if they have the choice to go somewhere else, then that does give a strong incentive for the service to improve. You don't need very many people to exercise choice access. most the evidence tends to be only about five or ten percent of people need exercise choice to give this kind of this kind of push to uh, to quality improvement uh,
2: <coughs> professor the grant I enjoyed, your pres- Sorry. Uh, I enjoyed your presentation thank you very much you mentioned four ways of running the health service isn't there a fifth way mm-hmm. taking the health service out of politics because Every Secretary of State that comes likes to put his stamp and do a reform, and there's reform fatigue. And how can the Secretary of State know better than the people who are actually giving the service and running the service? Of course, those people need help from lawyers, administrators, accountants, have a board of governors, um, say like the BBC, and and they have a budget, and then they can provide the best possible long-term service without political interference. Isn't that the fifth way? Because well, I, I think that's close to what I
1: would call the trust model, actually. It is when, basically, you, you, the political system stands back from the, from the whole business, hands over the money, and allows people to get on with the job. Um, and, um, mm-hmm. and as I say, I think it's a model that has some merits. And to be fair to the present government, um, it. That's one of the things they think they're trying to do by setting up this National Commissioning Board. The idea is that they uh, that they set up this board uh, that is be, going to be composed of the great and the good, um, uh, and um, uh, and but not politicians. Uh, the politicians stand back and then allow the, the National Commissioning Board to do its job. Um, I don't know whether I think it will work at the end of the day. I mean, you're talking about 100 billion pounds um, of, of public money. Um, uh, if this, if this National Commissioning Board uh, really was the great and indeed the good, uh, <laughs> and if they were very effective, uh, then maybe maybe it'll work. Um, if uh, it's, it's like the, it's the trouble in a sense with all kind of dictatorships and a bit of the problem with the targets and terror regime was that um, if you've got a benevolent dictator uh, who's not subject to any kind of democratic accountability or control um, uh, and is also extremely competent, that's probably the best way to run things, whether it's a railway, whether it's a government or whether it's a health service. Um, the sag is that dictators often end up, they might start off as benevolent, but they often end up as somewhat malevolent and um, they often end up as incompetent. Um, and whether they're less competent than the, uh, the politicians, um, uh, concerns, I'm not sure. So, But I also, I mean, on a more pragmatic level, I just don't see the politicians ever really be able to stand back from 100 billion pounds and allow that money to be spent without control. But, it's an interesting idea. My problem
0: with competition is that, particularly between the NHS and the private sector, is that you're not competing on level playing field. Uh, for example, private, private sector hospitals are purely going, going to be dealing with elective surgery. They've no responsibility whatsoever for emergency services. They haven't got any responsibility for training. But more importantly, they're not, like, not stumbling with things like enormous you know, BMIs. Therefore, how can the NHS compete?
2: We certainly can't compete
1: financially. Well, yes, the, um, uh, and certainly that was a problem when we started. There was the, the independent sector treatment centres in you know, um, which was set up the You have one, you have one It's nearby. Um, well, to be fair to them, um, they, their contract was. There, I mean, it, it came. That, that idea rather came again from the, so many. Uh, ideas both good and bad come from the United States and the idea of so-called focus factories um, where you set up um, uh, specialized centers um, that uh, that only do simple operations but do them we do and they don't engage in training and they don't do emergency. all the things you were saying they don't do anything. Um and the evidence from the states was that, on the whole, that worked quite well. Um, that, that, on the whole, they did they operated effectively and speedily, and so it was tried here. And, of course, there weren't any independent sector treatment centres were set up. There were also NHS treatment centres were, were, were set up to, to try and work. Um, and I think the results of that experiment, I mean, some have worked, works have not uh, frankly. Um, and where they've worked, as, as indeed you're saying, some people would argue, well, they've worked um, they've worked partly because of the very simple job they've been given. In a sense, um, some of the NHS treatment centres have done well too. I mean, the private sector ones and the NHS uh, ones have done well. Um, uh, I think, I mean, I. But I mean, in terms of your sort of basic, uh, your basic argument that if you are going to have genuine competition, then you do need to have a level playing field, and I think that's absolutely under-critical place. And, and that must, and it's a, probably if we are going to move to a world, which frankly I suspect we're not greatly, um, despite circle was taking over Hinchingbrook, I think. Uh, I think we're probably going to move to a very much more world where there's going to be a great deal of private sector involvement. But if we are, it's got to be fair. Thank you. Uh,
4: thank you very much for your presentation. It was absolutely fascinating. And really what I'd like to ask you is something relating to the, uh, Current health reforms, um, and one of the problems that we work in, we work in silos. We have secondary care, we have primary care. Secondary care has payment by results, which is really payments by activity, and primary care is trying to stop people going to hospital. So really, the question is: is what do you think about um, the, the, the concept of unified budgets based on the patient journey? And secondly, um, the next question would be: what do you think about the concept of um, of personal health budgets?
1: Well, uh, I, I'm glad you asked that last question because the last paper I wrote for Blair was uh, was on personal health budgets. Um, uh, and uh, I was quite intrigued by the idea and indeed um, uh, advocated. And indeed, of course, there are the personal health budget pilots. Are so you not involved in any
4: of them, are you? I'm peripherally involved as, uh, through the Royal College of GPs as, um, uh, as, as one okay. of the sort of leads for. Um, well, in that case, maybe you should answer, very about whether you think
1: they're working or not. I'm not sure what the, what the present, um, whether, whether people do think that they are working.
3: Do, do you
4: know? I mean, do you, do you have a feel for that? In um, of... Personal health budgets in, is, is, again, something which may well uh, exacerbate health inequalities, in, in my view. Um, that those that are, 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 are more affluent, uh, more able to make choices, are will good. do so and will handle a budget very well. Those who are most disadvantaged in society will have great difficulty. Great difficulty doing it, yes.
1: Well, I mean, in general though, going back to your, your I mean, I am rather in of unified budgets. I do think that is a way of trying to of unify the patient journey, uh, and to have one, one person or one set of people who are basically sort of guiding the patient through this and responsible for it and accountable, accountable for it. So, I mean, basically, and I think to some extent, the GP commissioning route is a way of a way of doing that. Yeah. Um, so, um, I am, yes, quite sympathetic for
4: that. Thank you very much. Um, as a clinical trialist, um, we often use a randomised controlled trial as deciding whether one thing is better than another. I've been fascinated in my career in seeing how health service developments have happened in a sporadic way fashion, and the true trials are seldom done. Would you say that was right? Would you feel there's true trials taking place, or what methods
1: would you use that would equal the randomized? Well, it, it certainly wasn't RCTs, no. <laughs> um, but, uh, to be fair, um, yes, there were some There was some pirating of various things. There was the, um, I, I showed some uh, results from the London Choice pilots. Um, there was Choice uh, for cardiac surgery, uh, uh, there was um, um, and there was choice for cataracts and that was there was an experiment there was a deliberate attempt to actually try to evaluate uh what came out and and interesting enough some of the research that i referred to particularly research on competition um what's that what that's done and it's quite interesting methodologically is that they've uh, uh, it so happened that choice of competition were introduced at different rates in different parts of the country um, and so you have got, in some sense, a natural experiment. Uh, you've got the same amount of money here, and you're controlling for quite a lot of the similarities. But you've got some areas where you've got choice and competition rampant, so to speak, and some, some areas where you haven't. And if, by comparing the performance of those two, you can get some indication of what happens. And indeed, that was some of the results that were going on. There. Um, but I must say, I would like I, your general point, I would, I would really like to see far more Piloting, so far more experimentation um, of these of these kind of reforms before they're rolled out across the whole country. Mm. Maybe we could just have one final question. Rupert Ayton here, who is a director of finance. <laughs> so he's
0: uh, been listening, listening to all the replies now. She's going to be killer. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that uh, is a killer question. Uh, Jenny, you
2: for the, thank the talk. It was really, really interesting. Um, during the period of the uh, Blair government, was when um, the UK uh, really started to step up its investment in health, both yeah. in absolute terms and as a proportion of GDP. Um, do you think we got value for money out of all that uh, extra funding that's uh, that's gone in? <laughs> uh, uh, right, oh, well,
1: as usual, let me qualify that. Let me qualify that. Uh, um, We did get, um, I think people were expected an increase in productivity. That's to say they they expected, they hoped that we would get, um, uh, that if you've got a 10% increase in the money going in, you get a more than 10% increase in the the job done at the end of the day. Um, uh, That hasn't what's happened. Um, what's happened is there's been a, a 10% increase in, well, it'd be much more than 10% increase, uh, um, 100% increase in the resources going in, and um, a 90% or whatever increase in the out coming out, which a drop in productivity. Still, <laughs> so it is worth knowing there has been an increase in production. It's, it's not that when people, and in fact, Tony Blair himself made this mistake, but I had a argument with him about it. Um, he thought that when the people said there's, there's been a fall in productivity, it meant that actually we put all this money in and actually things have gone downhill. Um, well, that's not that's not the case. It's just that things didn't rise, increase quite as fast as the as the, uh, the rate of resources going in. Again, um, uh, it does look a bit as though. Um, now this is more about the targets and terror regime. There have been some interesting comparisons. Again, a, um, not quite an RCT, but a comparison between Scotland and Wales do offer a rather useful, a useful sort of almost a laboratory experiment. Um, uh, and it does look as though um, productivity fell faster, so to speak, uh, in Scotland and Wales than it did in comparable areas of England. The northeast of England, there was, really... so it does look as though the Tigers and Terror regime, particularly, wasn't wasn't too bad as far as productivity well. concerned, but. On the whole, we have poured in a lot of money, and, and things have got better, but maybe not quite as good as we'd hoped. Okay, that's great. We'll
2: uh,
0: leave that the questions. Thank you very much for taking the time to extend your um,
2: talking time. Can I ask if Peter Homer could just say a few words? Thank you. Julian, uh, on behalf of all of us, um, I think been enthralled by your, your commentary and insights, uh, can I thank you very much indeed for... Um, disturbing a very busy schedule I know you're traveling back immediately in order to, to, to get up at a horrendous hour in the morning in order to attend to, 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 to various duties and, and in life ladies and gentlemen there are many gifts that we can have good health you have to find that good friends good colleagues good teachers Julian doesn't know this but Julian is one of two individuals uh, who influenced my choice of career And he had that effect on very many of his students. And I think this evening we've had the benefit of of a very balanced, unusually balanced in the sense of someone who's been so close to the proximity of power, a very balanced perspective on what works, what doesn't work, what's least worst. And Julian, you've you've provided uh, us with a privileged glimpse under the bonnet of government. With all the messy um, components of, uh, of, of the imperfections of decisions uh, um, uh, beset by the demands of, uh, of electoral convenience and the, the metronome of, of what elections are all. And I'm sure that uh, that your conversations, uh, well, the conversations we have, will resonate with uh, echoes of uh, both your phrases and your concepts. So, on behalf of all of us, Julian, thank you so much for enthralling you there. <laughs>
0: Tanya, would you be prepared to come down to the front, please? Now, Tanya Nadar is our administrator for society, uh, works part-time, has a shed-load of work to do, uh, does it uncomplainingly, and uh,
3: as you may or may not have spotted, <laughs> uh, here we are, that's where that 10 million pounds went. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: uh, and Tanya next week is off uh, on her well-deserved return to me, thank you very much. We're uh, looking forward to you coming back. So, we've got you we've small no, some people down to you helping us. Uh, if I could give you this, maybe I shouldn't give you anything to carry. And there's <laughs> a small spray of orchids to wear in your hair tomorrow. <laughs> there's a present that will buy a few disposable (laughs) bags. Thank you very very much for everyone coming. Please uh, make use of the coffee and tea, and that's that. We'll see you on the 7th of December. Thank you very much.